Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So this is, uh, this is like a first pass through the terrain. We're going to go more deeply into working with the heart's responses to the ups and the downs, right? Because it's easier said than done, right? Maybe if you chose something that wasn't too complicated or hard, you can find that space, but we get stuck, right? Things get sticky. So this afternoon, we'll go more deeply into how to work with those places of resistance and attachment. So let's take some time. I, uh, we've spent the whole morning together and haven't yet had any time for questions and uh, discussion. So uh, let's, yeah. This is been amazing. Wonderful. Do we have a, a handheld? Great. So, and actually, um, Sharon, if we could pass, so there are some handouts that you can pick up at the end of the the morning, this woman right here in front. And um, if we could actually pass out the chant sheet, which is, you'll see there's one that's a chant. If we could pass that out during the Q&A, that would be great. Okay. Um, I was really struck when you told the story of the, the monk with his crystal glass that he said yes, it's already it's broken. Already broken yeah. To me, and I've been reflecting on some things in my life, um, when you're aware that it's already broken or it's been badly broken and now it's not. The intense appreciation and pleasure yes. and joy right. um, that, that I've experienced because I've turned a huge corner for the first time and since I can't remember when I'm not in pain and I am just every minute is a treasure. Mm -hmm. Tango dancing last night. I mean, there was an excellent example of yes. in the moment of the dance. Yes. The pleasure is so intense, and the joy is so intense, yeah. and then the music stops and it's over. Uh-huh, right. So it, this can, it can repeat itself in so many different ways. Yes. I lost a ring I've had for, since the 60s, yeah. and I went two days. I had a ceremony. I had conversations in my head about it's gone. I had it for a long time. It meant a lot to me, blah, 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 for two days, and then I found it again. But that exercise, I think, is going to serve me well for the future because things are going to keep going away. Yeah. So thank you for this. This has been just Great. such a joy. Great. Stick around. <laughs> any, uh, any questions from, you know, we've covered a fair amount of ground already today. <laughs> Things are making sense? Yeah, good. I was also struck by that glass story, so just wanted to echo that. It was yeah. very good. That's powerful, isn't <laughs> very it? Very moving. So the, the allegory. The, the, the nuance and the challenge of the story is a little bit what you were saying. It's that our tendency, right, when we remember that, when there's the reflection of the glass is already broken, this is subject to change, fragile, impermanent, the tendency of the heart 
will be to disconnect. Yeah. Right? Because we, once we recognize, well, this is going to go away, we don't want to experience that the loss. So one of the natural responses of the heart, or I maybe would say one of the habitual responses of the heart, is to disengage, to disconnect, which is, which is not equanimity. Right. right? That's indifference. So, to, so the challenge is to, is to hold that awareness of the impermanence and still stay fully present and open. So the heart can learn how to be deeply connected with experience without that sense of being bound to it. Okay. You kind of sort of answered the question I was going to ask. But <laughs> but thank you. That was, You're welcome. That was awesome. <laughs> There was a, yeah, a couple more questions. Please. Um, I was, uh, you said early on that things are not perfect. And I come from a Hindu tradition. And one of the prayers that we have is about if that there is the perfect, if uh-huh. you take something from the perfect, the perfect still remains. Uh-huh. And so as you were talking about the spaciousness, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that because I've been contemplating this perfect concept for about 20 years, and I realized the spaciousness, and you were speaking spaciousness, uh, and how we can use our minds to uh, help lift us from the attachment level. And... It, it, there's a kind of joy that comes when you think if something has been taken away from something that's already perfect, it's the perfect is still there. And so the first step for me is the sense that there is more space to uh, work in. Thank you. Yeah, it's... Um, I think it's a, uh, it's a beautiful teaching and also... Um, the profound one that requires a certain level of maturity, right? The perfection, because it can be misused, right? Because things are quite clearly not perfect in many ways. So um, uh, Suzuki Roshi had a wonderful saying that captured the um, paradox of it. He said, you know, you're all perfect just the way you are. And you could stand to use some improvement. (laughs) It's both. It's both. There's another hand. Yeah. I forget the context, but you made the comment, don't build your house on that. Yes, right. Um, My being an engineer, Uh how do we find a place to build a house? Because house building seems to be necessary. Well, so I think there are different levels to it. Um, on um, in one on one level, the teaching is to to stop building houses. Right. One of the it's said in the in the. Um, Buddhist canon that after the Buddha was enlightened that he uttered this verse of poetry 
um, I'm not going to remember it word for word, but something to the effect of, oh, house builder, you have been seen for many lifetimes. You have built this house. Um, your rafters are shattered. Your, your rafters are broken. The ridge pole is shattered. You will build a house no more, the house being this body. And so there's the sense of when the mind fully opens to uh, the, the truth of things and sees clearly uh, the reality of, of change, that um, the tendency to want to have things be stable and permanent stops because there's the deep recognition it's just not that way. So the house building in some sense is that tendency of the mind to try to control and make the world behave in a way that it's inherently not going to behave. As an engineer, you know when you try to control some, some substance or property in a way that it's inherently the, the molecules won't do, right? If you try to put too much stress on a certain substance, it will break, it will bend, it's not built for that. So there's that level of things that in the heart we stop building a house. We stop placing our uh, trust on that which is inherently unstable. So one of the summaries of the teachings in Pali is sabadhamang nalang abhinavesaya, which means, so it's often translated as um, nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to. But the literal translation is all things um, are insufficient to build a dwelling upon. There's nothing there to rest on. So in the heart, there's the sense of letting go, that we're not depending on things that are undependable. And then we live our life. We have a job, we have relationships, we have a house, right? But there's the understanding in the heart, this is subject to change. The heart's not resting on it. It's not that we stop living in the world, because we need to live. Right? You know, you get in your car, you go to work, you cook dinner. It's like we, but there's the understanding that of the nature of things. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I'm very uh, grateful for these teachings, uh, especially as I thought about equanimity as more of a detachment process but as you're I'm learning today it's more there's more to it there's you know yes facing your resistance and being with your emotion it's not about detaching or pushing away so that's and the heart will learn that's really beautiful I you know can connect with that great place where I was hoping for some clarity is you mentioned that I think one of the conditions or what can help equanimity Mm -hmm. to grow is to not spend time with people who are... Who uh, go crazy. Yeah, who go crazy. So in my mind, I kind of thought of that and felt, well, what if someone you love is crazy? Or what if you have a profession where you're working with people? And so in my mind, I started to feel like, well, that's judging or turning away or not showing compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, we all have family, don't we? (laughs) 
So um, there's, a, there's a lot of emphasis placed on the, the company we keep in the texts. Uh, the Buddha often says it's better to be alone than to be with fools um, because we are impressionable. Our minds are malleable. And the conditions that we put ourselves in influence our, you know, the way we feel and think, and just it's like what we put into our mind uh, has an effect on our consciousness. Um, and that said, so and, I mean, I think for me, the way I hold that teaching is when and where we have choice, we exercise discernment, you know, and when and where we don't have choice, we practice. We practice patience. We practice compassion. We practice having a, having a core and a center that uh, can be stable in the face of craziness. You know, so if you're in a field of work where you're working with people who are perhaps literally you know, uh, mentally unstable or challenged or multiple personalities, or you know, it's like part of your work then is um, bringing that uh, that poise of uh, a well-regulated, clear, and stable presence that's so longed for in someone else's psyche. It's like they don't have that ground anywhere. So that becomes, your presence becomes a gift, becomes an offering, the more you can maintain that sense of, of inner stability. Yeah. Thank you. We practice. Period. Everything. We practice patience. We practice kindness, generosity, compassion. Yeah. Thank you. This Maybe this could be the last uh, question before we take lunch. Uh, how important is meditation in making progress towards equanimity? Mm, thank you. How important is meditation in making progress to equanimity? It depends on who we are, on what our faculties and capacities are. I think for most of us, it's pretty essential. I think it's the rare individual who can make spiritual progress without some form of uh, specific mental training. It's not sufficient. I think, I think there's a, a kind of delusion or a belief in Western Buddhism, that if you just sit enough, that that's going to take care of everything. That's not what the Buddha taught. He taught an eightfold path, not a onefold path. <laughs> so we need, we need to be wise in our life. We need to look at ethics, integrity, relationship, wisdom. I mean, there's, there's the whole cultivation. But meditation, I think, is a core part of it because it's, um, it's really where we start to we, we encounter the patterns and the forces of the mind and the heart that are running in our life behind the scenes. 
Um, it's a place where we develop, where we can develop that, that inner core of resilience that then allows us to go out into the world and work with the conditions. Yeah. Is that helpful? Yes. Great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support Oren's work, you can donate at orenjsofer.com forward slash support.